Father, this morning we just come before you and we just declare that you are the great I am. God, we're humbled in the fact that we can even stand here with you. King of kings, Lord of lords. Father, we love you. We thank you for your presence. And God, we ask this morning that you would speak to our hearts as we hear your word spoken to us this morning. Lord, have your way in us. Great I am, do what you want to do in us. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to miss Philip and Sarah. They've done a great job. Seven years here. I remember the, I met them in a Mexican food restaurant in uh, Arlington. And uh, we asked all these kind of questions and asked all these questions. And uh, when we were done, I said, you got any more questions? And Philip said, it's okay if I carry a pistol? I said, preferred, <laughs> preferred. He'll fit right in, good place. Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24. So, man, we've been going through this, red words of Jesus about the end times. And I just want to remind you that if, if you heard Jesus teach this, you would just shake your head saying, how can that be? I mean... First of all, how can the temple be gone? Just liken it to the capital of Texas was just a little bit taller than the capital of the United States, which is a good thing. If you were standing outside the capital of Texas and somebody walks along and says, hey, there's coming a day when that thing is going to be knocked down, you would just say, you're out of your gourd. There's no way that's going to be knocked down. Same with a capital. Any big building. There's no way in the world that's going to down. And so when Jesus told the disciples, there's coming a day when that temple is going to be no more. Because of the strength of the Jewish people, because of the importance of that temple building, because it was the biggest show in the world right there. Nobody else had that. Nobody else had that fortification. Nobody else had those walls around that thing. You would have said, you're crazy. This is going to be here. It's always going to be here. No one is going to be able to touch this. And of course, just 40 some odd years after Jesus said these words, it's gone. I mean, it's wiped clean. It's just not gone. But they were the Romans were so set out to destroy the Jewish people, they tore the walls down. They burned what they could burn. And so you know that for John and Peter and James and the rest of the disciples, they would go back to Jerusalem. They would look over there and go, he said it wasn't going to be there anymore. And sure enough, it's not. And so before all these things began to take place, when Jesus said these things, you would go, there's no way that's going to take place. I mean, there's no way there's going to be all that deception that he's talking about. I mean, we're going to take the good news. We're going to take the word. We're going to explain to people. We're going to teach people. There's not going to be great deception. There's not going to be all these wars and rumors of wars because after all, we're bringing the mission of love out there. 
we're going to accomplish a lot. And there, there's not going to be famines and earthquakes and all these things. I mean, that just, it, it had to be mind-blowing to them. And then, of course, we saw uh, last week that Jesus told them that they would be arrested, persecuted, and killed. They are going to be hated all over the world because they are the followers of Jesus. Now, when Jesus tells these 12 disciples that, can you imagine how overwhelming that was for them? We're going to be hated by the whole world? Man, what a business plan we've got here. What a recruiting tool we've got. Come follow our Messiah. Come follow Jesus. And by the way, we're going to be the most hated people in the world. We're going to experience persecution. We're going to be arrested. And we're going to be killed because we believe in this Jesus. It had to have just been mind-blowing, mind-boggling to them. It's my, like it, if you put me in a calculus class and day one you said, understand all this, I, I would just, oh, I'd melt down. I'd, I'd probably cry and, and, and run out. And that's what the situation they're in. And now we pick up his words in verse 10. We're going to do verses 10 through 13 today. And here we are. The King James says that many will be offended. The New Living Translation, the NIV, and the English Standard Version says, give the application for that, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Isn't that interesting that the very thing we stand for is loving God and loving others? The very thing Jesus said in the Great Commandment and the Great Commission is that we would love one another and love God. We would love God and love one another. The very heart of who we are is going to be knocked down in the end times. The very foundation of our belief is going to be knocked down in the end times. And Jesus said, and many will turn away from me and betray each other. Verse 11, and many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. And so this is pre-intense birth pains and after intense birth pains. Deception is going to take place. So one of the major keys to the end of the time, the end of the days, is lots and lots and lots of deception is going to be out there. Many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin, verse 12, check this one out. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. All right, verse 10, the first part. There is going to be a problem with faith. The church is going to struggle. We are not going to be like we were in our heyday. All across the world, the church is going to struggle. Now, at the turn of the 1900s, most preachers believed that the church would get stronger and stronger and stronger. And, and then they began to see their theology as, as uh, difficult to embrace, to herald, to preach, 
when, when World War I came, World War II came, and, and since 1945, the world has not given us any sign that we can, we can preach or that we can teach by looking at the scripture and by looking what's going on in the world, that the church is going to get stronger and stronger and stronger, and we're just going to usher in the kingdom of God. That's post-millennial thought. But we began to see the scriptures here, began to see, man, man left to himself is going to destroy each other. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Now, it says here, Jesus says, and many will turn away. Many will turn away. Now, I don't know how many many is, but many is a lot. You know, I don't know what percentage of that is. I don't know how that looks, but it's going to be disturbing. It's going to be difficult to see. Many are going to turn away from Jesus. Many are going to just walk away from Him. They're just going to walk in their own direction. Now, 1 Timothy 3 says that in the end times, difficult, perilous times will come. People will become lovers of themselves. And, and, and that's what's going to take place. Now, in verse 10, there are many, many pastors, many, many teachers, professor-type people, commentators, that, that believe that this falling away people are the ones that have professed some kind of Christianity, but they're not true believers. And that true believers are not going to walk away. They're going to hang in there because of verse 13. However, there is many people, including myself, that believe that it is maybe difficult to understand, it may be hard to grasp, but it is clear to me that these can be genuine, true believers in Christ. And, and as true and, and, and genuine believers in Christ do have downtimes, do are overcome with sin from time to time, do appear to walk away from the things of God, even though they may have, you know, just be overcome with whatever weaknesses they're dealing with. And, and, and I think it's going to be so alarming that even though it bothers me to say this, and even though I don't like this, and even though for me this is devastating news, that it is going to be so overwhelming with the hate, with the persecution, with, with the uh, arresting that's going to take place, and the devastation that is going to happen to believers, that many born-again believers are going to walk away from the things of God. Now, in their heart of hearts, it may be good intentions for a time until the persecution is over, or perhaps they're just led by these false teachers and they begin to believe things that aren't true. But regardless of how it is, many people walking away is devastating. Now, there's a company called Barner Research, and Barner Research does all kinds of studies and, and here's one of their studies that they have released through the years. Now, they label a practicing Christian as someone that says they believe God is important and they go to church at least once a month. Okay? So that's what they believe is a practicing believer. God is important. So they would be willing to raise their hand if you said to them, is God important? They would raise their hand and say, I believe God's important. Now, whether or not that is a salvation experience, that's for another day. But they believe God is important and they attend church at least once a month. 
So that's their idea of a practicing Christian. In 1993, they surveyed a large group of people. And of that large group of people in 1993 that were surveyed here in the United States, 45% of the people they surveyed claimed to be a practicing Christian. They did the same survey in 2019, and they surveyed a certain amount of people, and that number of a practicing Christian had dropped to 25%. That's one out of four of the people they surveyed, and they asked the question, are you a practicing Christian? A practicing Christian? Do you believe that God is important, and do you attend church at least once a month? Now, you can question all day long like I would question all day long, you know, the, the definition of a practicing Christian. I mean, from the Bible that I read, the New Testament that I read, and, and there's so much more to being a practicing Christian than just saying God is important and I'm going to go to church once a month. I mean, you put Easter and Christmas in there, you got 10 out of 12. you got, you got a lot of scooting in there, right? And you throw in there somebody's birthday party. You throw in there Mother's Day because every good child goes to church on Mother's Day. That's three, that's three of them right there. And then you throw in there guilt Sundays, and that's four or five more Sundays. It's pretty easy to add up to 12 Sundays a year you're going to go to church. And I, I would struggle saying that someone that is willing to go to church 12 out of, 12 out of 52 Sundays a year and they're saying, boy, look at me. I'm a real practicing Christian. For me, loving Jesus, loving others, you know, loving the people of God, loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. There ought to be a few more Sundays in there from my perspective. But that's what's going on in today's world. Now, Europe. Oh, the buildings. Unbelievable structures. Unbelievable. The 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 church that I was christened in in Flitton, England is gorgeous. It's, it's just so cool. It was built in like the 1600s. It'll seat four or 500 people. It's huge. And, and it's used most today for the mausoleum where the Duke of Bedford is laid. And people travel England and go to all these churches and they walk in there not to worship God, not to love Jesus, not to be devoted to Him and show God how much love They go to see a cotton-picking grave. How horrible that is. And you've got all those beautiful churches. I mean, just, just crazy big and beautiful across Europe and hardly anybody attending. I mean, it's amazing to think about church attendance in today's world. But even in, even in the Bible Belt, it may very well be that there's one-third from 1993 to 2019. One-third less. It very well could be that. I understand that in Texas alone, they're, they're thinking that 750 churches may fold each year for the next 10 years. And now that this COVID thing has happened, they're not quite sure what to say about all that. So when Jesus said, many will turn away from me, it, it's got to be alarm to us. It's got to be a warning to us. Now we read the red words and we pray for the power. You know what we need to pray for? May I not be one of the many. 
We need to always pray, may I not be like everyone else. If everyone else is walking away, if the many are walking away, if the many are walking away from loving God, if the many aren't willing to be persecuted and live on the truth, may I not be one of them. May my church family not be one of them. May we, may we be the rare people, the remnant that hang on for verse 14 that we'll talk about next week, taking the gospel to the whole world. But I think one of the saddest things to see is a church that used to be healthy, vibrant, alive, body of believers, and is now struggling to exist. Struggling to exist. Second thing in verse 10, there's going to be a problem with relationships. There's going to be a problem with relationships. Those people that walk away from Christ whether superficial believers or intimate close believers, true believers, it says they are going to betray and hate each other. There is going to be a breakdown of relationships. God's people, God's people are going to have a hard time connecting with each other. Oh my. Do you know that one of the number one things that are listed today as reason why people stop worshiping God corporately, stop going to Bible study, they don't get in a small group, you know what they say? They, have, they weren't able to get connected. Now, I think it's a buzzword. I've heard a lot. I think a lot of people use it as an excuse, but it's definitely an excuse out there. there. I went to that church for five or six years, and I just never felt like I was connected. So I went to another church for five or six years, and I never felt like I was connected. And I went to another church for five or six years, and I never felt like I was connected. You know what the common denominator there is? You. Yeah. The person making that excuse. I just can't get connected. I don't know why it is about me. I just can't get connected. Stop it. Oh, Lord, stop that. Get out of that. Whatever difficulties you have personally to not be connected, do you see God's Word here that many are going to walk away from Him and many are going to hate and betray each other? We can't allow that to happen to us. Man, get connected. Could it be that we have lost the ability to be connected? Well, how many of you would rather be on your Facebook right now? Don't, don't answer that. That was a trick question. <laughs> right? I mean, all day long. I just can't get connected with anybody. <laughs> right? I just can't get connected. I don't have any close friends. I don't, I mean, no one is there. Man, I was going through a hard time and no one knew it because you're closer to people who are further away from you and you're further away from people who are closer to you today because of social media. I just can't get connected. I hear this all the time too. People that move here a lot, you know, they, they will tell us that this community, Alito, is a hard place to get connected. You know what? Alito is a hard place to get connected. It's hard. 
It's a difficult place. We're scattered out. We live fast lives. People are just working night and day trying to make a living. We're, we're a lot of pressure. We want our kids to be superstars in everything they do. And we're driven and we're motivated and we're overachievers. And, and we're just caught up in the rat race. We're like that hamster on the wheel. And we're running, trying to keep up, trying to keep up. And we yell out all the time, I don't feel connected. That's because you're on that wheel, hamster. That hamster that's on that wheel don't go talk to anybody. That hamster needs to get off there and start sniffing around and find some friends. <laughs> Not connected. Oh, do you see that the words of Jesus says that relationships are going to struggle. Just make a commitment today that you're going to roll up your sleeves and you're going to do whatever you need to do to get connected. I'll talk with you. I'll talk to you on the phone. I'll sit down with you. I'll help you. I'll try to be connected with you. And I know that I'm not alone here. There's many, many, many of us that will be connected with you. We'll try hard. We've got to all try hard. We've got to all make it work and make it happen. There's a lady sitting on the front row, on the front row with a fancy dress right now. She works at being connected. Now, let me, now, now, I want you to hear something. I didn't plan to say this, and I don't want to make Ms. Lolly upset or mad. Actually, I don't care. <laughs> now, the connection thing. The connection thing. I've probably, this last year, have eat at her house more than any other house I've eaten at. You know why? She invites us. She invites us. That's it. It's very simple, isn't it? She invites us. You've invited us enough for this year, no more. Nah, that was supposed to be funny. Come on, she can handle it. Yeah, but it's that simple. The, the next thing, the next thing. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. You see the word many there again? I know this is hard for you to believe, but in the end times, we are going to have real problems with preachers. We're going to have real problems with preachers. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said, the preachers, the prophets that get a lot of applause, be careful of them. He's right. Jesus is always right, but He's right there. We're going to have problems with preachers. Preachers are going to want to be loved and accepted and liked. We see that in the Scripture. Paul was real clear to Timothy, Timothy, you got to stay strong. Timothy, if you're going to preach the Word of God to people, if you're going to, you've got to be willing to be unloved. You've got to be willing to be unliked. You're going to have to preach the truth no matter what to people. You just, you just can't have a need to be liked. And, and that definitely today in this time has caused a real issue with preachers today is because you know what 
what one of the number one reasons people go to a church is, and that helps the budget, and that helps the program, and that helps the preacher's self-esteem, and that makes him feel good about himself, that helps him sleep at night, and all those man-made issues that make preachers just lose their hair. <laughs> is you got to like the preacher to go to church there. Now, let's be honest about it. How can you like a preacher that teaches the Scripture all the time? I, I, I really, you know, sometimes someone would leave and they'll go, I really enjoyed the message today. How in the world could you have enjoyed that message? That's what I think. Now, sometimes you can leave here and you say, I enjoyed the message today. I said, Hallelujah. Thank goodness. It was a nice uplifting message. It's where we were in the Scripture. It's what we taught. Some things in the Scripture are uplifting, thank goodness. Some Scriptures are encouraging. Some Scriptures makes us shout, Hallelujah. Some Scriptures make us shout, Oh my goodness! How can that be? And this is one of those. And these false prophets that are going to come along, they're going to be many and they're going to be popular, and they're going to have a voice, and they're going to have a crowd, and they're going to have charisma, and they're going to teach things the Bible doesn't teach. And just some of those things today. Every Christian should be free of problems and rich. That's not true. One of our dearest, precious people, well, two ladies I know that I would stack up to anybody, they're, ha they're having cancer struggles right now. True believers, sold out believers, they get sick. Faithful people, they are poor. They struggle to make a living. They have problems, they have obstacles, they have challenges. It's not true that if you're faithful to God, you are going to be wealthy and healthy. It's not true. But that's taught. They explain away the virgin birth. There's no way that virgin birth happened. That's, you know, we've got to look at that from a little different perspective. No, you don't. It clearly says it. They don't believe in miracles or they're devoted slowly, solely to a greater experience. There's two extremes. Don't believe in miracles or you've got to have a better one all the time and so you've got to manufacture stuff. Preachers preach today that Jesus did not physically rise from the grave. It was a spiritual resurrection. My stars. And we wonder if, if now, if the end times are coming and we're going to be arrested, persecuted, and hated, if we're going to be killed, if we're going to go through hard times, I need Jesus to have physically rose from the grave. <laughs> I mean, no wonder people are going to run away because of false teachers. They don't understand how great God is, how great Jesus is. They don't see that. It's today it's common to hear from the pulpit that our purpose is to make the world a better place. Now it's a byproduct, but it's not our mission. Our mission is not to save the trees. Our mission is not to improve life of people without any regard to them being born again. It doesn't do us, it doesn't help anybody anyway for us to help them live a better life if they're not born again. And so we got to be focused on that. There's no belief in sin. 
There's no belief in consequences today. There's no belief in hell. Everyone is going to heaven. Be your best self. Do the best you can. Live tomorrow better than you live today because there are no consequences for us because that's how God great is. Oh my, that's not what God has revealed to us. There are consequences. And so in the end times, not only are good people going to walk away because of the struggle, the stress, the trial, the persecution, the fear, and, and not, not only are, are people going to have a hard time loving each other, but man, preachers are going to get off track. So for you who attend here with me, please check everything I say out in the Scripture. Test to see whether or not I'm of the Lord. Don't believe everything you hear. Allow your spirit to show you. Let the Word show you. And if you got something that you think I don't understand, you, you, can, you can let someone know. and they, <laughs> You can tell me. <laughs> See, the humor got close there and I couldn't deal with it. And look at number, verse 12. Oh my. Wow. You know what rampant means? Out of control. Rampant's kind of a big word. So let me read it with another word there. Sin will be out of control everywhere. Before Jesus returns, it's going to be like the days of Noah. Sin will be out of control everywhere. Sin will be out of control in the streets. There used to be a day there used to be a day where sin wasn't out there in the streets because we were ashamed. Now, it appears that a huge percentage of our culture no longer cares about shame. Sin is out of control everywhere. I, I believe this is happening. And not only is sin out of control everywhere, but sin is justified everywhere. Sin is explained away everywhere. There's going to come a day that believe it or not, it's hard for us to believe it because we read the book and we believe in right and wrong and we understand that there is absolute you know, authority here. And we understand right and wrong. There, there are people that live within... A, a, a rock throw of our house, of your house, that they really don't know what's right or wrong. That's hard to believe, but I believe that's true. And, and it's become relative. It's become what people want. And, and listen, it's just not outside the body of Christ. It's in the body of Christ. It may be those who are supernaturally attached and they weren't truly born again. They haven't repented. They haven't been regenerated. Perhaps that's the case. Because it's a difficult explanation. But, but, but people who do not know what's right or wrong. And so sin is rampant everywhere. Sin is out of control everywhere. And Jesus said the result of sin being out of control everywhere is the love of of many will grow cold. 
Oh. Have you ever seen a day in time where, well, John Lennon said it, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. So it's been around a long time. But I, I personally have, have not seen so much religious information out there that asks the question time and time again in blogs and books and podcasts and all this kind of stuff, where's the love gone? Where's the love gone? Well, the love has eroded because of sin. And the thing that we are to stand for and the thing that we are to be known for is love. Jesus clearly said that. It's going to erode. And there's going to come a time, if this is the end times, which I believe it is, but if this is the after the birth pangs end times, no matter how much time we got to go, love is going to vaporize. It's going to go away. You're going to find yourself without much love. You're going to find yourself wondering, where's all the love gone? You're going to find yourself people not able to get along with each other. Why do families struggle so much? Why do we have such a hard time having friendships? Why is there no forgiveness anymore? Why are people not saying, please forgive me? Why are people not having grace for other people? Why does love not cover a multitude of sins anymore? Because there's a lack of love. There's a lack of love. Now, when I read the red words and pray for the power in each one of these, I just read it and go, oh Lord, I hate that that's so. I can't believe that's so, but may it not be me. May I not be the one that, that sin causes love to grow cold. May I not be the one that preaches a false message. Lord, help me to be disliked by everyone because I speak the truth. And And... When, when I look at this Scripture from my perspective and my selfish perspective, man, I'm in for some difficult times until the Lord's done with me. That's what I look at this. I see, man, there, man there's going to be an absolute knockdown, drag-out fight for pastors. And, and I'm asking you, I'm asking you, join me, help me. If, if the Lord moves you somewhere else, you find that pastor and you say, brother, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to get in a ditch with you and I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to, I'm going to hold you up like those brothers held Moses' arms up because pastors are going to go through horrible times trying to get God's people to do what God wants to do in these end times. Do you see that? I mean, what good is a church if love has grown cold? What good is a church if sin is rampant everywhere? What good is a church if there's false teaching going on? What good is a church if they hate and betray each other? Golly, you can't find any love at the church. And what good is it going to be if there's nothing but empty buildings? You see, what these Scriptures are showing to me is this. There's coming a time that Jesus is no longer enough. Jesus is no longer enough. There's coming a time 
that everything else matters more than Jesus. Now, Jesus is enough. He is all-powerful, and He is at the right hand of God. But people are going to be deceived. And they're going to be caught up with sin. And they're going to be worried about the problems and the persecution and the hate that's going on. And God's people are going to fall apart. May it not be us. Verse 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Difficult verse to understand. I see it as only having two meanings to it. One possible meaning that I don't think is the, is the right application for it is this. If you endure to the end, you will be saved. Well, you say, well, Lee, that's what it says. Yes, that's what it says. But it also says if you endure to the end, you will be saved. So, it's not if you endure to the end, you will be saved. But if you endure to the end, you're going to show that you're saved. That's the teaching. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but here's what I see Jesus doing. Jesus looking over at Peter and Peter going, oh man. Jesus looking over at Bartholomew and Bartholomew's going, what are we going to do with that? I've left everything. Can you imagine Peter said, i got a good fishing business at home. Bartholomew's going, wait a minute here. Matthew going, tax collecting wasn't so bad. It had a good upside to it. It had a downside to it, but it had a good upside. I mean, we lived pretty good when I was collecting taxes. And hearing these words of Jesus and thinking, how in the world are we going to do this? I, I, just, I just have a hunch. can't prove this. But He saw the alarmed in them like He should be seeing the alarm in us over Scriptures like this. And He says, come on guys. Endure to the end, you're going to make it. Endure to the end, you're going to be saved. Endure to the end, you're going to find that Jesus is enough. So I think that what Jesus is saying here in verse 13, hang on, hang on with me. I'm enough. Get ready for hard time. But because I am Christ, I am the Son of the living God. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I have always been and I will always be because I have the keys to death and hell because I am the One. The Mishnah bin David. I am the one. Your best days are ahead no matter what happens in this world. So, endure to the end. Once saved, always saved. Or, the saints will always persevere. Good question. Father, I pray that You'll just help us heed this warning today, this teaching about what life will be like here in the world in the end times. And Lord, I just pray that we will grow stronger in You and that, Lord, we will grow to the point where we fully understand and recognize and apply that You are enough. And help us as Your people to grow so close to You, Lord, that nothing can pry us loose. And Lord, I am so faithful I'm so grateful to know that even if we are unfaithful, You are faithful. And Your faithfulness to us is not dependent upon what we do or don't do. Lord, that's grace. And we are so grateful. In Jesus' name, Amen.